Welcome to our series on Daniel. So if you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is truly a remarkable book. All right, like if you if you look in the Old Testament, um, you see miracles centered around Moses, and then you see a period of miracles centered around Elijah and Elisha the prophet. Um, then you get to Daniel, and you and you see a more miracles, and that's not to say that they weren't occurring elsewhere in Scripture. It's just that that God focuses on um, the miraculous, His miraculous hand, and I want you to know that it's not in the context of a culture that, that honors Him. Okay, the backdrop of the book of Daniel is God had been warning His people over and over and over to repent, to, to turn to Him. You see, they had started out on a, on a journey where they were following Him. The nation of Israel, His chosen people, were following the Lord. And somewhere along the way, they got sidetracked. Have, have you ever? Have you ever gotten sidetracked? Yeah. Um, this is a place we can be honest. Right? Like church is probably the one place that we can't. Um, we feel like we can't be honest, but but we can. We get sidetracked just like God's people. So God, He had warned over and over and over again to repent, to turn back to Him, but they, they didn't do it. And so God, after warning them time and time and time and time and time again, He sends an evil nation. He sends the Babylonians to conquer the nation of Israel, to conquer God's chosen people, and to bring them into captivity. In fact, the whole book of Daniel, um, they are in captivity. It's a hostile environment um, to be in, to be in um, for, a, for a follower of Christ, for a, for a follower of the Lord. And, and what they want, is, and what they be, they're praying the whole time, is God, take us out of Babylon. Have you ever been there? Where, where you're kind of in a rough spot, and you're like, God, get me out. Give me out, give me out quick. And so they're praying, God, take us out of Babylon. Take us out of Babylon. Take us out of Babylon. But listen, God would rather take Babylon out of them. And so that's the context of what of, of this book that's written in. And so um, we have to ask ourselves, well, well, who are we in this book? You know, I, I, that's a question I ask myself a lot. Um, as reading through Scripture, who am I? Um, who, who am I in this book? And and so, who are we? And can I just tell you that America isn't Israel? Like, like growing up, that's that's what I was kind of taught, right? That's what we've been taught that that America is this somehow glorified Israel in which we're this Christian nation, um, and we're not. And I would argue that we've never been. You say. <gasps> What? At what point were we a Christian nation? Maybe it's when we bought and sold slaves. Maybe that's when we were a Christian nation. When we ripped families apart. The kid was sold to the highest bidder. Maybe we're a Christian nation um, in the in the nineteen hundred early nineteen hundreds. Oh wait, that's when women were treated as second class citizens without even the right to vote. Maybe it was the 60s we were a Christian nation. But civil rights, I mean, it was horrible the way we treated other people, even though they were free. Maybe we were a Christian nation in the 70s during Roe vs. Wade, when it was made legal to for abortion. You see, we, we can't call 
having good values. The same as being Christian. America is not Israel. America is Babylon. And just look last week at the massacre that happened in in Vegas. Right? All these things that I've already mentioned. We are Babylon. We're not a place, we're not a culture that honors and, and esteems and loves the Lord. And there has been glimpses of that throughout our history. But we're not, we're not Israel, we're, we're Babylon. But I will say that the church is Israel. The church, we are God's people in, in a Babylonian culture. And the purpose of this book um, is that we would not circle the wagons. Listen, I feel like that's what we've done sometimes and that's what we're doing that, that everything's messed up out there and Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Listen, every generation has thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime and so far it hasn't happened. Now we're a day closer. Listen, I hear, I hear Christians saying it's getting so bad out there. Let's just circle the wagons. Let's huddle up. Let's just wait. Because we're too far gone to be able to impact culture. I would propose to you, rather, we have to figure out how we're going to live for Christ in a Babylonian culture. Because that's where we're at. We're going to see that here and it's going to be beautiful. Alright, if you found Daniel chapter 1, if you would stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Um, we're going to read through the first seven verses right now. <clears throat> It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. So the, the book starts out um, kind of describing that the captivity that you know, I was talking about. And Babylon is a nation to be, to be reckoned with, a force to be reckoned with. They were ruthless um, in how they conquered people and how they treated people. Um, everyone feared them, and it wasn't just Israel, it wasn't just Judah 
that were in captivity, it was Egypt and, and nations all around that area had been conquered um, by, by this Babylonian king. Now, now, how would you feel? How would you feel to be uprooted from your land, taken with, um, to, a, to another land, split apart from your family, um, and made to... Um, many, many were made slaves, and you had a, a group of others that were, that were um, trained in other ways, but how would you feel if you were here? You know, we talk about things being worse than they've ever been. As bad as it is, we're not worse than, than them. But you get to verse 2, and it describes that they not only invade the nation, but they invade the temple of the Lord, the place that, that, that the one true God dwelt among His people. They came and they, they began to rip out items from the temple, and they took it back, and they put it into the, um, the temple of their God. And what the assumption was, was that their God was better. Right? They would go and they would conquer these lands, whoever they worshipped, whatever they worshipped. They would, they would put those, those gods, those idols, whatever it was, they would put them into the temple of their own God because they assumed their God was better. But listen, God would prove them wrong. Verse 3 and 4, it, it talks about kind of their method on how they went about conquering people. It talks about how um, they, they took some from the royal family, those from nobility, those who were educated, it talks about those who had no blemish. So, so, so physically, they, they took those who were desirable to look at. They took the most talented, and they took the young. Right? Um, scholars will say Daniel is probably 15 years old at this time, but he shows promise. He's from a good family. He's, he's advancing education. And they brought these type, and, and they treated them well. Did, did you notice that? That they put them in the king's palace that they feed them from the king's table, that they give them the best education. Um, and the plan was to brainwash them, right? We're going to teach them the language of the Chaldeans, and here's the hope, that we'll take these that, that everybody wants to look at, the most talented, that everybody wants to be like, we'll train them to be Babylonians so that they can kind of go back to their people and say, hey, look, I'm a Babylonian now, and everybody would want to be like them. I mean, kind of similar to what Hitler did um, with, with the Nazis, right? No, no, they, no one woke up like that one day and was like, oh, I'm going to be a Nazi. Was they began educating the kids at this age that this is what things are like. They sang songs about it. It was in, in the media that this is who we are and this is what we're going to be. And, and, the, and, the, and the young bought into it. We're in a culture where our Christians, our Christian teachers are being handcuffed, what they're allowed to say, and being forced to say other things. Because the enemy's strategy is the same now as it was then. If the enemy can take, if he can get to our kids, it's all over. And you get to verse 6, and it talks about how they were given new names. Right? But like, like they were given new names, and what the, what the king of Babylon is trying to do is he's trying to again give them a new identity, right? Like 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 Daniel and, and um, um, the, the Mishael and Hananiah, these names are associated with God, right? These are God names, names that honor God. Whoever their parents were had to have loved the Lord because they gave them a name rooted in um, God. 
So Nebuchadnezzar comes in and gives them a new name, a new identity. And he gives them names associated with the gods of the Babylonians. So I want you to know that really what's going on here, um, there, there's an attack on their, identi- their identity. That's what we're seeing in a few verses. Ultimately, um, it's about an attack on their, de- their identity. And Christians, aren't we being attacked the same way? In our culture, isn't culture trying to attack our identity and make us less like Christ and more like the world? And we're called bigots when we don't agree with that, and, we, and we're called hateful whenever we trust in the God of the Bible. We have live in a world that's trying to change our identity. And so what I want to know is, is it possible to keep a Christ-centered identity in a Babylonian culture? And what does that look like? This morning, we're looking at a Christ-centered identity. You guys with me? Alright, number one. Number one, it's possible to maintain Christ-centered identity in a Babylonian culture. It's possible to maintain Christ-centered identity in a Babylonian culture. If you look at verse 8 with me, it said, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you're in worse condition than these other youths? Right? Because, because it's not just Israel youth that are, that's here. It's Egyptians. and it's, it's all these other nations that are brought together young, um, trying, to, trying to make um, into this, this um, Babylonian culture. Um, who are of your age? So, so you would endanger my head with the king. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over him, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, and, and that was meant to be a compliment um, here, than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And it is possible to maintain a Christ-centered identity in a Babylonian culture. And so listen, if we're not careful, we're going to think that this is about healthy eating or not drinking alcohol. Alright? How many has heard of the Daniel diet? Right? Um, you gotta eat this just vegetables, just drink water for a certain time, and, and all your all your wildest dreams will come true on how you want to look. And listen, that's not what this is about here. It's not about healthy eating, and it's not about not drinking alcohol. Listen, we've already seen that this is in the context of the pagan temple, right? It talks in verse 2 about all the things being brought to the pagan temple. And we've already seen that they are supposed to be eating the king's food from his table. So what's really going on here? What's really going on here is scholars say that the meat and the wine being served had been offered to idols. It wasn't, it wasn't the meat and the, and the wine as much as it was that this was to be, this was sacrificed to idols and then eaten by the king 
in, in these people. And that, that went against Daniel's convictions. Because Daniel had been trained to love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He had been trained that there's one God in our allegiances to Him. He'd been taught not to bow down to idols. So what does Daniel do? In verse 8, it says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. See, Daniel, he chooses distinction. He chooses to be distinct, to not go along with culture. Can you imagine the pressure he had to feel? First of all, the the fear he had to feel um, of, you better eat this. He's not there with his parents. There's very few of his friends. And he's being pressured. Eat this, eat this. I mean, it didn't really sound like a bad gig, right? Eat with the king in his palace. Maybe Maybe this captivity, maybe this captivity thing isn't that bad after all. He's getting pressured to do this. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to defile myself. He chooses distinction. He was resolved. Did you know that we can be too? Did you know that we can maintain a Christ-centered identity in a Babylonian culture, but we have to resolve to do it? Let me give you an example. In the past few years, past several years, there has been an attack on, on biblical marriage. And so what's our response? I believe in biblical marriage. Well, what does that mean? If I ask you, what, is, what does biblical marriage mean? You might say something like, one man and one woman. Married for life. And I would say yes. But I would say, but is that all? Because I read in Scripture. It says, wives... Submit to your husband as to the Lord. To love Him. To honor Him. To respect Him. Many times, wives, the response is, I just don't feel like it now. He doesn't deserve it. Husbands, you know it's said that biblical marriage is to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. We read in Ephesians, it speaks of this gentleness as you, as you wash her with the Word. It's this beautiful thing being sensitive encouraging and leading her to love the Lord. That's, that's biblical marriage. You know, I, I hear all the time, almost weekly, problems in marriage. Listen, I think we all face those. Just this week I heard of victory in a marriage as God began, has begun to put things back together. What's your view of, of, of... That's just an example. When you say you believe the Bible, do you really? But marriage is hard. It's unbelievably hard. You know how I know? Because I'm married. 
And I promise you, my wife knows how unbelievably hard marriage is. Do you think Daniel, though, as he has resolved to live a distinct life, as he resolved to live as a Christ-like identity, do you think it's easy for him? Have you ever ate just vegetables and water? And listen, if you're a vegan, a vegan, you're crazy. I'm just kidding. But can you imagine what he must have thought? Like, like I, I like some asparagus with my salmon. I like some green beans with my barbecue. But here's what I don't like. I don't like some barbecue with my green beans, right? Like, I don't want a whole plate of green beans with a scoop of barbecue. Can you imagine what, this, what Daniel must have been thinking? As he's smelling the sweet aroma of a T-bone steak grilling. He's smelling the sweet wine. As he's talking, as he, every night when he, before he goes to bed, as he hears everyone else say, Man, that was good. You missed out. The text doesn't say this, but I'm convinced that there's probably some cheesecake chimichanga um, some, somewhere on that platter. You think that was easy for Daniel to drink water and eat vegetables when all this other stuff's going on? See, the world, the world doesn't need to know our beliefs as much as they need to see the difference Jesus makes in our lives. The world needs to know the difference Jesus makes in marriage. The reason the, the world needs to see the reason the, 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 the difference Jesus makes in parenting. The world needs to see the difference Jesus makes in all these things. If all we do is say we believe this, what good is that? See, Daniel has chosen to maintain a Christ-centered identity in a Babylonian culture. And, and so must we. We must resolve to be Christ-centered. To not worry about the world. Worry about us and what we are portraying to the world. Daniel doesn't seem to be worried about the other, other Israelites that aren't doing this. He doesn't seem to be worried about the other nations that aren't doing this. But he has re resolved himself that if I'm the only one, I'm going to choose to live Christ-centered. I resolve to do it. It is possible to maintain a Christ-centered identity with a Babylonian, in a Babylonian culture. Number two. Number two, it's possible to maintain Christ-centered identity with Christ-like character in a Babylonian culture. So if you're like taking notes, you just see that there's just a little bit added. It's possible to have a Christ-centered identity. We added with Christ-like culture. And so listen, as you read through this, um, verse 8, listen, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. Therefore, what did he do? He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to do this. This man, um, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of this man. Verse 12, it says, test us in this and see if our, see if our appearance compared to the others. And so he listened to him in the matter and tested him for 10 days, verse 14. At the end of the 10 days, it, it was seen that 
God had proven faithful in Daniel as he, as he chose a Christ-centered identity. But, but notice how he treats um, this man. Um, he, he maintains a Christ-centered identity with Christ-like character of Babylonian culture. Listen, and he does so politely. Did you catch that? Like Daniel goes to him and, and he asks this guy. He doesn't stand up and stomp his feet. It doesn't make this man seem like the enemy. He just asks him, can we try this? Well, would you give us ten days? Would you test us in this? And just see. Just see if my God doesn't prove faithful. He's got compassion. He's got gentleness in his voice. And he's got respect for his enemy. Is this not the way that Christ always treated sinners? Always treated the lost? Anytime Christ deals with someone that's lost, it's always with compassion. It's always with gentleness. It's always in love. It, it, it was those who claimed they knew God, but weren't living up to it. That, those are the ones that Jesus got short with. Those who claimed to know God, but denied it by the way they lived their lives. Not those who didn't make the claim. You see, with Jesus, those who didn't claim Christ, didn't claim God, they got respect. Just like Daniel's giving here. If, if we are going to maintain a Christ-centered identity with Christ-like character in a Babylonian culture, listen, we've got to stop trying to live out our faith only on Facebook. I'm amazed, and, and not here, not here, right? I'm amazed friends other places, churches other places. All they want to do is get on Facebook social media. All they want to do is say what they're against. We, we be, we've become known more for what we're against than what we're for. Not known for the gospel. We're known for what we're against. And the moment legislation passes the law, we come out with our guns blazing. Yet, all the other, yet every other time, not showing love to the world. We've got to stop trying to be confrontational and controversial with a world that doesn't know Christ. Hey, have you ever noticed how hard it is to live Christ-like? Like there are certain areas that's easy for me to live Christ-like. And there's certain areas that are just downright hard. Is that just a preacher problem or do you guys struggle with that too? All right? Listen, we, we have areas, listen, there's areas that I struggle with. And I'm a Christian. How can we expect the world who does not know Christ to live values in Scripture? While we are as confrontational, while we are as controversial, to a world that doesn't know Him, we're going to come across as being bigots and hate. Rather... How about we live distinctly? We live Christ-centered. How about we, we, we be Christ-like in character and gain favor with the culture? Now just on a, as, a, as a side note, we should hold Christians accountable. We, we somehow flip this where we, we expect the world to act like Christ and we get mad when they don't. But when you, are, you or I struggle with sin, we don't. 
He disappeared. Right? I'm not going to call Landon out for sin because we work together. That'd be weird. Right? Um, our kids are... Um, our, our kids play on the same. I'm not going to call James out because our kids play in the same ball team. And he even helps coach. So if I call him out, my kid's not going to get any playing time. We've created this, this church culture. We just come in and there's no accountability. Not so with Daniel. If you notice, he's got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there with him. They're holding each other accountable to this. By the way, that, that's what covenant is. That we resolve not only to live for Christ, but to do it together. That's what covenant is. Because it's possible to maintain Christ-centered identity with Christ-like character in a Babylonian culture. Listen, we get to number three. Because of number two, we get to number three. Number three says, or number three, your point is, it's possible to regain influence on culture if we maintain Christ-centered identity with Christ-like character in a Babylonian culture. Okay, It's possible for us to regain influence if we have Christ-like identity, Christ-centered identity, Christ-like, and then Christ-like character. Okay, look at verse 17 with me. As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Listen, it's like they're in the middle of this culture and God's blessing them as they learn this other language and they learn about all these other gods and they learn about the way of Babylonian life. God is blessing them in the middle of this. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Wonder... I wonder what God would have done or not done had they just stood up and said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't believe that. I wonder how it would have ended. They were polite. They implied Christ-like character. And so God blessed them in this. Look at verse uh, 18. At the end of the time, the three years, we read about that earlier, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were, all, were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Did you see that God gives this man, gives these four guys a place to stand next to him. Can you imagine the things that they had to have told him all the time King Nebuchadnezzar was king? God gave them a place of influence. Right now, right now we have zero influence in culture. Right? I mean, none. It, it used to be, it used to be Kind of used to be popular, kind of, if you're a pastor, right? Like you'd go and be like, I'm the pastor at so and so church. And they'd be like, Oh, that's great. And, they, and then, then you get all these perks that go along with it. Like now, it's, I can't even get my church members to like me sometime, right? <laughs> Thanks. I was fishing for that. 
we go in culture and we say, build a relationship with someone, um, having a good talk, good discussion. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. It just gets weird. It used to be like that. We've got no influence in culture. Daniel goes into Babylon with no influence. But he maintained a Christ-centered identity with Christ-like character in this Babylonian culture. Listen, he earned the favor of an evil king. Did you know a couple chapters from now, this evil king would later confess the God of Israel as the Lord. possible to regain influence on culture if we maintain this Christ-centered identity with a Christ-like character in a Babylonian culture. Let me ask you, who's listening to you? You having a voice in an evil culture? If your identity is not in Christ, if that doesn't show up in your relationships, if your identity with Christ doesn't show up in your parenting, if your identity with Christ, children, doesn't show up in your relationship with your parents, if your, if your identity with Christ doesn't show up at work, if your identity with Christ doesn't show up with school, why would the Lord bless you? If your identity is not in Him, why would He bless you? He blesses Daniel here. This, this is not, isn't always the case, but He blesses Daniel here because, God, because Daniel's identity is in God. And God gives him a voice to speak of his goodness. Can I ask you to reflect on what your identity is wrapped up in? Is your identity wrapped up in Christ? Are you Christ centered? Or, do you, or does your life more closely resemble Babylon? Now, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that you don't know Christ if your life resembles Babylon. But I'm saying, wake up. If, you're li- if, you're, if you know Christ and your life more resembles Babylon than, than Christ, listen, you don't have to leave here feeling guilty. You don't have to leave here in shame. You know how I know that? Because Jesus paid it all. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. And when we're like the prodigal son that that leaves the father's house, He waits for us. And He beckons. And He calls. Waiting for us to return. Pigs stay in the slop. Sons return home. You can return home today. You can live Christ-centered from now on. Every day is a new day with a new opportunity. You walk out of here Christ-centered. And listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, um, you're lost as the Bible describes it because you've never given your life to Christ. Listen, can I tell you that only Jesus can satisfy? That culture will not satisfy you for very long. If you're going to culture, if you're going to the world for satisfaction, it will not last. It'll last about that long before you need something else to fill it. Only Christ can satisfy. Daniel was satisfied 
giving up the best that culture has to offer because Jesus is better. Come to Him today. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for Your Word. And God, I'm grateful that we don't have to feel helpless and hopeless. I'm grateful that we don't have to circle the wagons in a culture that is hostile towards You, that's hostile to us. We don't have to do that. I'm grateful that we can be like Daniel, not because he's so great, but because of You in him. God, we can maintain a Christ-centered identity. We can have Christ-like character. And, 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 and influence on culture can be regained. Not because of us, but because of you in us. We acknowledge that. And God, a room this size with this many people, there's probably someone here who's been looking more like Babylon than they do like Christ. God, would you beckon them home today? Enjoyed speaking to a couple this morning who, in their words, gone through a wild time after giving their life to Christ. But Christ brought them home and they loved the Lord. So thankful for testimonies like that. Pray that there'll be some today. Maybe it's an area of purity. Maybe it's in marriage. Maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with some substance that we're taking. It's making us look more like the world than you. Help us leave that here and choose Christ-centeredness. And God, for the person here who's never given their life to you, and God, maybe they've been fighting it, so no, they haven't. God, I pray that, that you're calling, that you're drawing, will be overwhelming to them today. And they'll trust you that they'll give their life to you. And you will satisfy them unlike anything else. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.